what's up everybody let's make sure our volume's somewhere appropriate So, I don't know how much louder it can really realistically get. Uh, Alright, let's, let's take a dab really quick before we jump in on this week's episode. And I'll probably add some, you know, mellow uh, session tunes to the background here to this track for the opening minutes. And don't worry, I will probably truncate the torch you know, heat up time for you just a little bit on my dab here, but uh, this is your cue. We're getting stoned. We're talking about weird shit. It's baked and awake. Uh, grab your provisions. Get a cold beverage or a hot cup of tea. Whatever you need to be comfortable. Um, I'm not sure what it's going to work out to yet, but pretty confident that we're going to be a good solid hour on today's episode, and we're going to end in the middle of the story. This is definitely going to have to be two parts today, so. And I want to take the briefest of moments to address, uh, I mean, I guess it's wouldn't call it frequent feedback or by any means universal, but I do occasionally get this feedback, um, in particular, pretty much only from YouTube, um, listeners. So, you know, partially this is a function of YouTube culture where people actually bother to give you feedback on whether they liked what you did or not. Um, and so for that reason, I want to preface this by saying super appreciative of everybody's comments on YouTube and even bothering to stop by, even if you didn't make it through a whole video or, 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 or audio recording of a podcast. Um, got a comment today, uh, you know, again on an older video, uh, more or less, you know, complaining about my cadence and saying I take too long to get to the subject and or I'm just too, you know, sonorous or sedated or slow, whatever, with my pace of delivery. Dabbing. Again, thank you for the feedback. Uh, I can only do what I can do and be myself and talk the way I talk and, you know, think through the topics the way I think them through. So I totally understand I'm not for everybody. I'm not a polished presenter. I'm not a, you know, trained academic or researcher. Uh, I'm doing this on my own, on my own time, and on my own dime. So I will always remind you guys things that I do with uh, YouTube and podcasters that I like, but that, you know, maybe they spend 20 minutes bantering at the beginning of every episode uh, with each other about their cats and stuff. I don't always need to hear it, so I'll either find the scrub button and fast forward until I find the hosts discussing the, the topic that was the title of the episode. Alternatively, I'll hit the 1.5x speed button, you know, 1.2, 1.5, 1.75, gets pretty Alvin and the chipmunk see at a certain uh, rate, but I mean, I get through a lot of podcasts that way, frankly, and am able to absorb, I think, usually much of the information. So, you know, these are ways that you can work with me and work with my presentation style 
and maybe we can, you know, still have a good time together. Uh, if you're, you know, if you find me to be a little bit windy or a little bit slow. <laughs> uh, but don't be shy. Keep the comments coming. Feel free to email me directly, too, if you want to take it to email and have a longer-form conversation or one that's a little bit less public. Uh, the email address for that is talk to us at bakedandawake.com. Right? Let's see. That's that's our big disclaimer and heads up, and that was my addressing my critics. So there, we're done. Okay? Yay. Uh, I do want to take a moment on the mic uh, before we really do go for it, and we're going to go right for it after this, uh, to uh, briefly uh, let you folks know that I don't have any, as I said, I'm doing this on my own time and on my own dime, as I just coined that wonderful phrase a moment ago. Uh, so we don't have any like show sponsors that we have to uh, promote week in and week out that we have to talk about, you know, in some forced and, you know, uh, contrived manner. We do, however, have one company out of the whole wide world who has been a amazing supporter of the show, super responsive to my totally unsolicited uh, greetings to them and salutations and requests for um, some love for uh, the Baked and Awake audience. And that is Calypso CBD. So, you know, here on Baked and Awake, we are advocates of the plant, both as a recreational panacea and, um, you know, comfort uh, food in the large, it's almost a food group to somebody like me. But it's also an important medicine. The cannabis plant gives so many ways to so many different people. Cannabidiol, CBD, our hardest working uh, and most underrated cannabinoid is uh, the powerful, powerful uh, primary medicinal cannabinoid. It has myriad properties that we don't need to go into right here and now. Again, this isn't going to be a full commercial for Calypso CBD. Point is, they have clean, tested, awesome product, lots of different varieties of things from topicals to uh, edibles to CBD flower even. So you name it, they, I believe they have vape cartridges as well. Check them out at CalypsoCBD.com. And the reason why you want to do that is because they've provided us with a discount code for any listener of this show. You use the code Baked and Awake at checkout, just like the show get 30% off your first order. I don't know for sure if you couldn't try to use that code a second time and maybe get away with double dipping on that 30% off discount. I'm not advocating for abusing that, <laughs> that gracious offer of theirs either, but I bet you they would be delighted if you told your spouse and told your parents and told your friend and your neighbor about it and they saw a few more visits from folks who have dropped by and used the Baked and Awake checkout code uh, to get that 30% off. Get some CBD into your life, guys. If you're, uh, you know, 30 or over and you're starting to recognize your mortality, maybe it's time to take a second look at your good friend Cannabis, who is already probably deeply involved in your day-to-day -day routine, and ask if you can be doing a little bit more together, right? So there we go. Check them out. Baked and Awake at checkout. Let me know what your experience was, you know, if you go ahead and purchase from them and let me know how it went. I've had good results with them so far. I've had fast shipping from them, really friendly responses to any questions I had. Uh, and as I said, all I did was barely ask them for a discount and they, they set me up same day for all of us. So let's support them a little bit. And yeah, we won't talk about them week in and week out, but I'll remind you guys from time to time so that you can remember if you haven't taken advantage yet 
that they've got that out there for us over at CalypsoCBD.com. All right. Um, so yeah, a commercial, maybe a free one though, and one born of gratitude. Uh, speaking of gratitude, I want to let you guys know uh, who helped me with the uh, idea for today's episode by basically putting me onto the NORB theory, which if you've uh, downloaded the episode, you'll have seen that that will probably be the title of episode 76, today's show. Um, Stellium7, though, a member of a Discord community that I frequent, uh, the Tartary Zertus Discord community, or Exertus. Um, follow Andreas Exertus on YouTube to get really kind of the top level, better quality overviews of the Tartarian, Grand Tartaria civilization mystery, and uh, a lot of the mud flood theory related content, and a lot of esoteric um, content that sort of surrounds those um, topics of interest. Links will be in the show notes, don't worry. But Stellium, Stellium7, uh, is also, aside from a member of the community, he's a YouTuber also, and has some really interesting, really thought-provoking videos, uh, including a series called Unveiling a Titan, where Stellium makes an incredibly compelling case, actually, for, I mean, gigantic, no, titanic life forms, uh, not only having lived on Earth once, as has been you know, implied by countless myths, um, but having left behind their bodies right in front of us to be seen, you know, in, around, you know, and eventually become part of the earth itself. So Stellium's making awesome content, and maybe we will approach some of that, you know, more closely on the podcast in the future. But uh, a couple weeks ago, or a week, a week, a week back here, at most, um, I was in the Discord and we were chatting about, you know, a number of interesting topics, all somehow, you know, with threads connecting back to the Tartarian mysteries that I've been like geeking on for weeks, months. <laughs> and uh, we were talking about, you know, different world models. And I had recently been exposed to another really interesting channel that I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce his name properly. I heard my friends say it over and over again in the Discord audio chat, and I couldn't even approach it. And that was a novel uh, model of the world that was, like, super weird and interesting, like a gigantic Earth model with, like, the moon being a map of the world and, and our entire Earth existing within one tiny crater on the moon's surface. So the moon, the Earth is a thousand times bigger than we think it is, and the moon map would show us as one of the dots on it. So, yeah. Like I said, got to come back to that one, put a pin in it, all right? Uh... And uh, a couple of people started asking me if I had heard of this theory, the Norb theory. And I'm like, mm -mm, nope, don't know about that one. And uh, Stellium, you know, put me onto a link to the vid and shared a couple of images that sort of also aligned back to this video presentation. And if you guys follow me on Instagram, you would maybe have seen my posts and, and also Twitter. Where, and by the way, it's Baked and Awake everywhere. So just look up Baked and Awake on any of those platforms and you should find me right away. If you have trouble finding me, just email me or go to the website and let me know. Um, you know use the contact form there and I'll point you right back to it. Uh, and again, show notes, right? What, what the hell am I talking about? Show notes, people. They're in the show notes like every week. Uh, that's it, Stellium. You're the man. Thank you for putting me on to this. Uh, thank you for making your awesome Unveiling a Titan content. And I hope more people go and check that out. But let's learn about NORB theory. I want to give everybody a heads up about NORB theory. 
especially members of the audience like myself who are people of color, all right? If you're other than white, I'm talking to you right now. One or two of the terms that we'll be using today may be surprising to hear at first if you haven't encountered them in any lectures or talks. Uh, and they might really seem to indicate a wrong turn on my part into like territory verging on being somehow like racist in tone in some fashion. Okay. And the words not to cut any more, you know, beat around the bush any further. The words I refer to are two names for in this, the Norb theory and, and in some other dichotomies, as we'll talk about that the so-called root races of humanity have these names, okay? And the names are Polarians, like Polar, Polarians, all right, I-A-N-S, and the Aryans, okay? Both supposedly races of humans, types of humans associated with eras and epochs in time, okay? And it's really weird. It's even worse now. I'm reading my own words that I wrote for myself, and then I'm hearing my voice say it, you know, into my studio monitors, and I'm like, ugh. Uh, you know, so it's it's anxiety inducing to even talk about this stuff and to to spell the words out and to and to say it and to try to find a way to explain the context in which we're using this these terms and how somehow that isn't secretly some way for me willingly or wittingly or unwittingly to like work as an apologist of some kind for like some dark and nefarious white supremacist agenda. Okay. Uh, the last words, WSA, <laughs> were all capitalized as a way of driving the point home to myself. We're going to find out, right, one way or the other before we're through. But I really hope you guys all give me the benefit of the doubt, uh, knowing that I was up front with you about that, so we can just work through the material together. I'm not going to talk for you know, 15 minutes about this before I drop that A word and you guys have to hear that and are like, what the fuck is this? I, I got to point out, and you know, if this helps, please let's remember first off the word itself, okay, Aryan, as opposed to the simply sort of weird Polarian. All right, don't worry about that so much because it's kind of easy to just like dismiss that one, in my opinion, that I'm only encountering, all right, both, you know, that Polarian is new anyway, right, um, for the first time in, in this Norb theory. But Aryan, as a designation for humans, we'll go to Wikipedia here, and I'll paraphrase from Wikipedia, quote, Aryan has as its root a term that was used as a self-designation by Indo-Iranian people. The term was used by the Indic people of the Vedic period. We're going to be talking about the Vedas today. By the Indic people of the Vedic period in India as an ethnic label for themselves and to refer to the noble class as well as the geographic region known as Aryavarta, where Indo-Aryan culture is based. The closely related Iranian people also used the term as an ethnic label for themselves in the Avesta scriptures. And the word forms the etymological source for the country name Iran. It was believed in the 19th century that Aryan was also a self-designation used by all Proto-Indo-Europeans, a theory that has now been abandoned. Scholars point out that even in ancient times, 
the idea of being an Aryan was religious, cultural, and linguistic, not racial. Okay, so all that out of the way, I hope we can try to begin to unpack the monster that is this Norb theory. Um, themes that you'll perhaps recognize or see shades of ahead in the cosmogony that we're going to present will include, but are probably not limited to globe Earth, of course, right? Our accepted conventional current modern worldview and the Big Bang uh, model of like universe creation. Uh, you're also going to see aspects that are something very much like the flat earth model. And it might be one of the best versions of that that I've, it might be the best version of that that I've encountered and interesting, most interesting, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to see and, and note some things that remind us of hollow earth theory. And I'm assuming everybody who's listening still listening at this point and listening to this show at all have some passing familiarity with a lot of these topics if i'm hitting you out of left field with like hollow earth you're like what are you talking about bro what you, what's that i will i will remind you jules verne journey to the center of the earth and many other writers throughout the years have used that as a basis for great adventures in science fiction and adventure uh novels and also mythology many tales of the underworld throughout history from pretty much everywhere well you know again just hit me up and let me know and we can go deep on any of these little aspects as an episode or a segment on an episode to come yeah hollow earth cosmic egg that's a big one and that's one that i see a lot in this model yeah multiverse model aspects are going to be presented here there's parts of this that call to mind lots of things that I've watched also from uh, the Thunderbolts Project folks, the Electric Universe people, okay? And again, if that's hitting you from left field, see my episodes about that. I have an episode on the Ganymede Hypothesis and one on the Purple Dawn Theory. Um, if you want to hear a lot more about Electric Universe, which is one of the coolest, um, it's a plasma physics model of... Uh, like how the universe and how the solar system and galaxies and everything really work together based on electromagnetism. So um, definitely have had a lot of fun talking about that. And there's so much more, you know, that we could do with that. So um, look forward to returning to electric universe related topics specifically. And this kind of is so. But, you know, I'm trying to give you a picture of these are the this is the context in which I came to Norb theory and I'd already heard a little bit about this and a little bit about that and maybe a whole lot about some others, right? Um, in terms of these different, you know, models of the universe. You come here and this one sort of unifies them. And I believe that's part of a school of thought, philosophy, research, whatever we want to call it, that is syncretism, I think is the term, where we seek to reconcile seemingly divergent or seemingly distinct models of how things work and look for those common threads and those connections and, and suddenly see that, oh my goodness, the degree of overlap is way past coincidental here and is in fact, and as I'm speaking to you, I'm like 
pushing my fingers together in a in a mesh, you know, like um when you were doing the cat's cradle game with strings in the in the playground when you were a little kid with um you know, some little girl in kindergarten or first grade who somehow knew how to do that weird stuff. Uh <laughs> and um I've heard before that's like a form of divination, using the string and making forms in your in your hand, right? I hope that you also will see a whole bunch of stuff that you've understood in small, weird ways from your own backgrounds and come to this with your own observations to tell us about, you know, tell me about so that we can keep the conversation going. So this NORB theory brings all these together into a somewhat agreeable framework, in, in my opinion. Uh, it uses ancient myths and scriptures you know, like biblical scriptures, to make the connections between all of Earth's existing cultures and the epochs of human civilization that came before. Again, as detailed over and over again in different oral and written traditions. Uh, it explains better than any other source I've encountered so far. And this isn't to say I'm buying off on all of this. They call it a theory. They throw caveats in. In a number of places, they're seemingly open to, you know, continuing to develop this model themselves. And, you know, I don't know who the community is or the, the individuals at the center of this model. All right. But it's neat and it's succinct. It tells you about who and what these so-called root races are that I first encountered in the Vedic texts and documentaries about them and talking about them. Those are the old blue Aryans, the blue, purple looking, in some cases, many armed gods and godlike demigod characters in the Vedic scriptures, Vedic texts. Let's see. So the core tenet of the model rests upon a literal point. And here's the Big Bang, in my opinion. They sort of refer to it as a zero point axis you know, a point of instantiation. And in on Earth, it crosses the Earth's poles, the North Pole to the South Pole, and it's the axis upon which we rotate and everything around us rotates. So I guess this would be a geocentric model for sure. But that zero-point axis, axis is sort of the origin of all material existence. It was and is and remains more astral let's liken it to like a droplet of cosmic water, you know, or better, better, maybe a bubble of, of cosmic water droplet of water. Yeah. That instantiates there at that zero point expands and periodically sort of bursts, pulses, ripples out and allows for a new, a new center. But what pulsed out, from that zero point becomes a wave, like a waveform, right? So that's like your Nikola Tesla. If you want to understand the universe, think in terms of frequency and energy and sound or something like that, right? Horrible, horrible butchering. <laughs> Not even going to go back and figure it out. So you guys know the quote. <laughs> I got some other more, more dialed in quotes for you. A little bit further on and i'm going to try to curtail that too because i got way too many actually but uh that pulse 
emits matter. That matter becomes a waveform. You know, the waveform becomes the matter in a sense and forms the realm that we live in. Again, when talking about the waveform, that reminds me of a lot of stuff I learned about when reading up on Buddhism and the worldview of Buddhist monks and I'm sure it's several other uh, Eastern philosophies will echo this. Uh, you know, the Tao does to an extent, just not in like super explicit terms, but it's like, if I'm not mistaken, a Buddhist monk will tell you that their, you know, understanding is that we co-create this entire reality and that nothing exists outside of our minds anyway. <laughs> that this is all a shared co-created quantum existence kind of situation okay so this is some you know this is where i'm saying it connects back to all sorts of different models including modern scientific things like quantum physics string theory etc in that way though the buddhists would agree that we're sort of waveforms we're and primarily energetic and that everything is also energetic. Everything that seemingly is even very importantly inert matter, like wood, dead wood, that's like not even a tree anymore, or a rock on the ground, you know, is somehow imbued with a certain degree of energy and frequency that's continuous and persistent and there for as long as that object exists in that form and that it has to be in order for that object to exist in that form and that at the same time that that is an object it is also primarily energetic and therefore you know somehow ephemeral permeable astral even though it's material too so energy becomes matter right those ripples, think of like a um, drop of water, you know, you, you huck a loogie into the still waters of the pond off of the side of the footpath at the park, right? And, and the loogie hits the water and it makes beautiful loogie ripples that emanate out from it in every direction. So the first ripple would be the first realm that was created from the zero point of the loogie into the pool. This is terrible. I better get away from the loogie. <laughs> Metaphor analogy um in this model though the terms extraterrestrial for instance and outer space would refer not so much to like far-flung regions of a gigantic interstellar void although i don't really think we have you know um uh, it's not a super small space that is being described in this model We've still got planets at some distance from us and stuff, but it, you know, that's outer space is not so much out into the void. It's think a little bit more expanding outward on that flat plane. There's the flat earth aspects. So don't get too creeped out. You know, that outer space is the outer rings. We're on a tree of life in this model, right? This is a tree of life model with roots below us underworld and hell in some form but not you know not really i'm not seeing like a bunch of you know fire and brimstone and hell and damnation in the model here uh, as they explain it to us but up above 
branches and energies that spread out above us to protect us and they wax above and then slowly diffuse and then in a sense like decrease in energy come back around the bottom and decay in a sense right there's seasonality and birth and growth and decline and death in the model so yeah so the zero point axis is kind of like you know a tree of life kind of pole so maybe it was a seed that got dropped into the water not a drop of water but a seed that got dropped into the water that created this pole that created the axis that continues to grow and form rings and each ring is material but the center core remains that astral seed as you would imagine as the seed in this case grows or doesn't really become a physical tree that 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 kernel stays in the in the heart of everything and expands and bursts every once in a while and a new ring is born and the this ring is that flat limitless plane that the flat earthers would say we would live on maybe think of each ring as maybe having a little bit of a bowl shape to it like a wave right let's remember that wave form and so each ripple will have a peak and a valley right and we in this model might live in a valley that's encircles that center point and that is sort of impassable on both edges of the peaks okay and if there's a dome again don't freak out just like pretend it's a stephen king novel or something under the dome it doesn't have to be ice or glass or this or that it could be maybe plasma it could be a force that's maybe just incredibly hard to penetrate and pierce not necessarily impossible maybe if it's an energetic field it goes through cycles of energy and times during which it may be much more conducive to being explored or passed through but if you're not you know if you're not so that's a lot of flat earth kind of sounding stuff and you know some of you might be saying oh great steve you know we're going to go on to talk for the rest of the episode about a south you know antarctic ice wall no i'm not but if you're if you've never heard of any of that stuff and you want to know about it simply google the u.s government uh antarctic expedition called i want to say it was called operation fishbowl for rockets being launched at potentially attempting to find a dome uh operation high jump uh which is potentially an operation to get up onto the antarctic ice shelf and uh where we were apparently encountered uh strong militarized resistance of some kind partially german partially not and repelled uh that was an admirable ad admiral bird mission byrd the famous admiral and explorer supposedly the first man to fly over the north and the south pole each the model goes on to you know explain to us that there have already been four time ripples or epochs including this one this one might be the beginning of the fifth epoch these epochs last 24,000 years and each epoch remember that's a ripple right waveform had its own realm that was created with the waveform and, and a root race this is a uh material sort of 
expression of the Polarian consciousnesses, and I don't know if it's a multiple, like, person race, or if the Polarian species is more of like a big unity. All right, still learning about this, doing my best for you guys. Each root race that inhabits the material realm that comes out from the zero-point axis and, and lives in the valley between the two peaks is a expression of the Polarian human consciousness. So maybe those are our souls. Maybe those are our software. And we're, you know, the meat suit hardware for this, these virtual, this virtual reality realm. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I forgot to mention this is like kind of simulation model stuff here because really by the way you could do this in a computer beautifully you could create a whole universe based on these physics the whole gestalt and probably make it all work really well <laughs> frankly so you know love to hear what elon musk thinks about norb theory because he might just say well yeah that's probably one of 20 different fucked up models that is operational right now and you know we might or might not be in it but signs point to yes and here's why you know and he makes this very simple point himself about that he's like if you assume any level of progress with the shit that we've already got computer tech wise which we're already going hard in the paint on virtual reality augmented reality etc trying to upload our brains into fucking transhumanist you know super cloud at some point humanity is going to make systems like that therefore at some point in time the systems that like that that i'm talking about are virtual reality systems that are so sophisticated that even the agents inside the system don't know that they're not real and they're utterly indistinguishable from you who's ostensibly real i'm assuming you're real i'll give you the benefit of the doubt for the time being please do the same for me probability is much, much, much more mathematically supported that we're in one of millions of just that kind of virtual, perfect, seemingly perfect, at least indistinguishable to our level of detection, uh, simulations, than we are actually the base reality. And that's not me. That's Elon Musk and um, Eric Bostrom is the, uh, the Google speaker i think who was first popularized it i don't think he came up with it either but he first popularized talking about it if you're not familiar with simulation theory I'll, i guess i'll add that as another link in the show link, uh, show notes for you yeah you know a few different i mean this is what i do for you i go on tangents but every one of those tangents will have a little show note that you can follow up on like everything i just mentioned there including fishbowl and high jump and simulation theory all have bearing on what we're talking about here right now. So I'll do what I can to point you at all that stuff. I can't include it all in one episode, right? So four full-time ripples, including this one, or maybe we're the beginning of the fifth. Get back to you on that. Think of the Polarians, though, as that master human seed, the software, our souls, our consciousness that, that comes out in the pulse and becomes material in a different root race in each ripple and they just sort of maybe learn and change or maybe the energies associated with each pulse sort of dictate what happens with the root race that gets created on the plane right on the realm 
But, you know, I don't think we can talk to the Polarians readily. I don't think we can go back to source, so to speak, readily. I don't think they exist on a solid Earth in any way. And again, I'm not sure if they're a unity or, or a species. And I don't know that they have a realm like we do, right? They seem to be described in the model as mostly ethereal astral beings. And they remain, maybe they remain at the center or maybe they can go everywhere for all we know through all the ripples and, and realms because they're the creators of them. But it doesn't seem like we can interact with them directly. But so each, to get to uh, like the names of the root races and the ripples, we've we've got the first wave was the wave that history records as the era of the Hyperboreans. Okay, and a lot of you may have heard of Hyperboreans. Hyperborean being like um, beyond the north is, I, I believe that's basically what that breaks down to. And the Hyperboreans was like the mysterious era of people coming from beyond the north. Some of them giants. Um, some of them other kinds of interesting, you know, magical uh, beings that are, you know, that were different from humans. I believe the description of the Hyperboreans in the Vedas are of beings that looked similar superficially to humans, uh, but who were partially astral still, needed to eat very little, were very high energetic beings. I believe they lived much longer than we currently live, than human beings live in the modern times. So that was the Hyperboreans. They, we call them like wave two because the Polarians would be wave one. They're the consciousness. But the Hyperboreans were the first material race of human beings, human type beings. And they were therefore descended from the Polarians. All right. They had their 24,000 year epoch. The zero point pulsed again. Wave three. The second child of the Polarians were the Lemurians, the Lemurian civilization, who I believe we have, again, some definite verifiable references to in, I want to say this is the Mesopotamian tradition that we hear about the Lemurians. Uh, the Lemurians are tied to Atlantis in the form of like a prior civilization to the Atlanteans. So the Lemurians were wave three. They had their 24,000 years. And by the way, when your era is up and the zero point pulses, you know, shit happens. <laughs> Cataclysms and things, right? Uh, natural disasters. Some would call them Armageddon's. Doomsdays. Judgment Day. People die things move you know giant things that were you thought part of the landscape forever go away islands sink mountains rise out of the ocean right this is what happens when the ripple pulses the wave rolls through right the wave rolls through <laughs> and sometimes you and your whole landmass goes with the wave and sometimes it gets left behind and sometimes it just sinks completely so that's what's interesting about when the ripple happens. Not everybody stays in their realm. Some of those Hyperboreans survived 
but didn't get pushed all the way to the outer ring where they were supposed to go and ended up languishing around in the Lemurians' era. Maybe those Hyperboreans taught the Lemurians a thing or two and said, please, you know, hey, our whole world just got kind of effed up. We, You guys are interesting. Where'd you come from? And the Lemurians are like, bro, we don't hardly know. We just kind of got here recently. We're just doing our best. What's that cool chariot you're riding? What, what is that thing? Did you call it a chariot? And then, you know, maybe the, those Hyperboreans helped out the Lemurians with a little something. More crucially, we, we hear that the Lemurians may have helped form the basis for the Atlantean culture. The Atlanteans, often being believed to have the remnants of their culture, having been the ones that gave rise to the, like, learned uh, aspects, some of the, the things that were suddenly uh, all seemed to happen over in Samaria a certain point in history, right? Like over in Samaria, back around 6,000 years ago or so, those motherfuckers invented pretty much everything, right? We're talking bookkeeping, we're talking, you know, cuneiform writing, we're talking um, some algebra, we're talking, you know, not just straight arithmetic, but algebra. They had calendars, they had contracts, they had, you know, all sorts of concepts that were entirely modern, entirely modern. And they proliferated those throughout the world, the known world at the time, pretty much setting up everybody for operating with something resembling, you know, some common ground. Not, and, and, and in fact, in a lot of ways, their language became, you know, roots to a lot of alphabets around the world. Uh, I believe they invented phonics, you know, like characters that related directly to sounds. So good stuff. Like the Sumerians kicked ass, but, um, you know, they probably possibly got that from somebody who helped them out. Um, and we just credit them with it today because they left the most notes behind. So anyway, Lemurians, wave three, 24,000 years, cataclysm, boink, they're gone. Next came the Atlanteans, wave four. They're the root race, so to speak. And I don't know exactly, I think the book tells us or the book, the video, and the Norbs theory. There's several videos on this, by the way. They have a short version and some longer, more detailed versions, okay? But uh, they tell you who they sort of resemble because although everybody comes from the Polarians at the center with each respective ripple, there also always has been intermixing, interbreeding, as I said, survivors of each prior civilization, realm, and root race that in some cases get left behind, Okay. So maybe most of everybody dies in each cataclysm, but a few might survive and get pushed to the outer ring, right? Or the ever-expanding rings, Hyperboreans being on the outermost ring at this point. Presumably the least energetic at this point, too, furthest away from the center. So it might be getting kind of hard for them by this time. You know, some of them might be seeking to move back closer in, you know, if there's anybody left out on those deep, far reaches right? Because uh, it might be warmer in here. <laughs> a topic for another time, but you can see that might be an intriguing thought, you know, exercise. Like what, what happens when you survive, get pushed out, and want to get back into the better zone, if it's perceived as better to be closer to the center? Can these beings do that? Can they come our way if they want to, and if they're still hanging on somewhere? But there's always been 
hangers-on, there's always been survivors, and there's always been some interbreeding. So what we end up with is root races that have mixed races and sub-races that exist at the same time as the so-called root race during any given era. So, excuse me, there you go, my obligatory uh, mic boom whapper each episode. Yeah, we have right now, you know, on Earth, like, what, like four races, right? Uh, black people, African American, or whatever we want to call black folks who are in this model uh, closely identified with the Hyperboreans, the first ripple humans, right? Um, the Lemurians are connected in the model to Asiatic people, I believe. Um, and, the, and this connection would be not just some, some physical aspects, but importantly, belief systems and culture are tied back to these respective former primary root races. So while this realm is expanding, as I said, people are always being left behind, staying behind, still thriving, mixing with the people of the new era and coming along together as a species. So race this, race that, race this, race that. We're all still fucking having babies. We're all still making nations together. We're all still making tribes together. And it's all always been changing. And not one single root race has ever stayed pure, so to speak. So this is what I'm saying. There's no purity agenda here from Steve. Okay. And it doesn't sound like Norb theory is remotely trying to paint that picture. They're letting us know and reminding us that that's the case as well. This isn't just about jackbooted thugs from Germany, right? So Lemurians connected to Asiatic people. Atlanteans, I want to say, are, I think we're, we have the base in the Indo-Europeans in wave four. And then wave five is the Aryan wave. I'm not sure what they call their point of origin, like their lineage, other than what we described up there above from Wikipedia, which is also Indo-European. So maybe the, yeah, the Atlanteans. Well, we'll work on that all. We'll figure it out. All right. So sort of covered how each ripple causes like a cataclysm it would imply to me that it's probably pretty cyclical right if we if we again pretend for a moment that the loogie happened and this is just a little bit of a magical loogie because it's really going to pulse a whole world each time it pulses but the waves are there they they started the moment it hit the water and so these cataclysms that occur while horrible are probably also if you're smart, predictable, right? And what does mankind always seek to do? Predict the second coming of Jesus. Predict the return of Halley's Comet. Predict this eclipse. Predict that transit across the skies. Predict and prognosticate based on, you know, 
whether Saturn is rising or Mars is ascendant in the second house of your zodiac. I, you know, I'm not an astrologer, as you can tell by that terrible attempt at uh, speaking metaphysically. I mean, that's what we do, right? We try to look back to see what we need to remember so we can hopefully avoid it or be prepared for it again in the future. We've spent a lot of history worrying a whole lot about what's happening in the skies over our heads, and humanity spent many hundreds of years really, really fearing comets in particular. Seemingly not without reason, right? We understand and have seen some cometary impacts in recent times, you know, graphically in terms of with images captured and video captured, um, things slamming into the side of Jupiter, right? And Saturn in the last few years. We see it when they burn up in the atmosphere, you know, meteorites burn up in the atmosphere over Earth, and I think people certainly associate them closely with comets, right? They look a lot like a comet on their way in. But uh, cataclysm happens, everybody dies, five people live somewhere in some shitty cave on top of a plateau, and they're forced to repopulate the earth themselves, go through a whole new stone age, kind of, right? Or at least, you know, yeah, if not a stone age, you know, a, an iron age <laughs> uh, where, you know, you lost all your tech, you're back to manual tools. You're like, well, shit, I got all these tactical knives and flashlights, kids. That's all we've got. You know, so you're back to, you have to redevelop and go through pretty much rebuilding everything about civilization and technology. So you have to go, as a people, you have to first survive and then somehow thrive and go back through a progression of like Iron Age, Bronze Age, Silver Age, and, and in a sense, a Golden Age of development. Uh, good news is, as we'll get to in a moment, the Golden Ages are a little longer throughout the cycle than the rest of these phases of the cosmic calendar. I would say our Golden Age might be at least in terms of timeline based in the calendar here and what seems to be indicated the late like 18th and 19th centuries, especially in like so-called Western cultures. That's right. Like our own beloved industrial and technologically driven 20th and now 21st centuries probably represent post-peak human development, like in a number of key aspects, quality of life and, you know, individual level of education and stuff like that i don't know i mean that, that 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 could be argued i guess the overall baseline level of education is probably higher by a lot um but yeah time wise when looking at that twenty four thousand year epoch calendar and cycle and what happens in the cycle as the cataclysms approach and occur it would appear that we're you know actually past the the last uh, peak of the last golden age and working our way back through like we're coming out of an iron age right now and moving upward in a sense to the next few thousand years i think it's six thousand years will be like a bronze age for humanity again even though like we're in you know we almost have the flying cars we still don't really have the jet packs nobody's really teleporting around town just yet and I don't think we have as many Jetsons moving sidewalks as we all hoped for by now. 
hoverboards have sort of, they switched it up on us and gave us hoverboards instead of the moving sidewalks, which is kind of a trick, much less egalitarian. Uh, anyway, yeah, each, we talked about the epochs, we'll get, you know, there. there's a lot more on them, and actually that's kind of where we're going to wrap before we finish today, because I'm already going to an hour right now, and everybody's going to yell at me for taking 20 minutes to get to the shit in the first place, and then I only you know, talked about it so much, and I went on rants. Well, hey, I got like six or seven pages of notes on this stuff just on part one. Links for days for you guys to look at. You got to watch the video anyway. And we're going to take part two where we learn more about this big cosmic calendar. All right, but... Yeah, each epoch has its new root race, and they start out sort of in a garden of eden and that's at the center of the pulse now is the garden of eden each epoch also timed to happen like at a golden age i'm not positive it looked like in the model that like yeah we like like, we might have been... We're connected to Wave 4, the Atlanteans, and Wave 5, the Aryans, has already occurred, and we're being displaced by them. Does that mean that the whole world's going to get displaced by white Aryan Nordics, and, you know, they're going to be the new ruling race of the universe? Uh, signs point to no. Okay, so let's not freak out again about that. I mean, we're talking about... You know, we're talking about giants here and titans and cyclopses and mermaids and dwarves and elves. And like, these are the kinds of sub races and mixed races that I'm envisioning in these different epochs and eras. And this is where these beings, in my mind, came from in mythology. Weird Hyperboreans that were half astral and barely eight and maybe were huge in size probably looked pretty godlike to the Lemurians who came along after them and maybe even could do a number of things in the material realm that we would find impossible and borderline magical if not indeed entirely magical were we to encounter them with our own eyes right paranormal supernatural likewise advanced lemurians who are used to dealing with fucking weird hyperborean mer people and fish gods and things like that who are handing down their knowledge to them, those Lemurians are going to be like pretty fucking worldly compared to the people who they hand down some math and some alphabets to. They're like, yeah, we're, we're pretty laid low, bitches, but you guys are, you know, savages in the dirt, so we're not going to put too much on you. We're going to give you a little bit of math. Here's the wheel. <laughs> Teach you how to build some roads. Uh, you know, there's not enough of us to do this stuff anymore anyway. So we'll hand down some knowledge to you and um, do your best. Oh, and stay away from the Cyclops. He'll eat your ass, you know. Each oldest remnant survivors of those older races probably diminish in number and diminish in visibility throughout history over time. So we don't really see giants and elves anymore because we've paved all their homes and hideouts where they still were and 
killed him in early biblical history and and wrapped him up. St. George was cleaning up the last of the dragons. David was slaying Goliath and family down in the Mideast. <laughs> you know, and uh, by the time we get to the American West, you got tame giants like Paul Bunyan doing good deeds for their friends, their guardians, the inheritors of the land that they maybe used to be the lords over. You know, maybe by the time you're Paul Bunyan, you're looking around, you're going, yo, there ain't another giant for 5,000 miles in any direction. And even though I can walk faster than most of these guys, they'll still get me before I can get out of this country. I better play nice. So I have so much more, and I'm going to stop it even shorter than I was going to for this episode. Uh, this model is super cool, and I do absolutely recommend people move ahead, jump in, and watch the Norb Theory video, which I'll obviously link here for you guys before I record episode two and before you come back and listen to episode two because um, you'll just be that much more you know, on it when we talk about it further because I'm... I think breaking it down in a little bit of detail that's different than the like polished presentation that they give you in the video where they present the theory. But hopefully it's helpful additional context. So we'll pick back up where we left off. We'll talk about that sort of recurrent theme of a Garden of Eden. And we'll explain that, uh, or explore that waveform ripple further we're going to talk about the celestial bodies and planets and stars obviously the same thing uh, that are closely associated with each ripple and era so this is where the astrology will come in and you know astrology is strong in in the mythological realm and it's you know it exists in history at the same time we're going to talk about the cosmic calendar that's explained in the Norb theory. And we're going to talk about the sort of as above, so below modality that's really being expressed here with the whole model. The cosmic calendar part is probably going to be the most interesting to tackle for me and for us to like grok and, and, capture the understanding of so that's why i wanted to cut off before i got to that this episode anyway because i need to like i think we need to start at the top of the episode with that at the at the beginning of the next i just i think it's such a cool such a cool theory there's so much there i'll tell you what we'll do we'll close with a couple of quotes from noteworthy people in history who have had more than a passing level of respect for astrology. Ben Franklin wrote about astrology. He was a prolific writer. Oh, the wonderful knowledge to be found in the stars. Even the smallest things are written there. If you had but skill to read. J.P. Morgan is popularly credited with a saying that is probably erroneously credited to him, but it's gone down in history that J.P. Morgan said, millionaires don't use astrology billionaires do. Donald Reagan, Ronald Reagan, President Ronald Reagan's former chief of staff, 
also said, quote, it's common knowledge that a large percentage of Wall Street brokers use astrology. That same person outed President Reagan's wife, Nancy Reagan, for her long-term concealed relationship, uh, actually, of as a client of a somewhat prominent psychic of their era, Joan Quigley. And uh, she was said to have taken Joan Quigley's advice so serious and to pass it along in such earnestness to her husband that to an extent it affected decisions in the White House for perhaps years. So interesting there. And uh, I mean, there's so many more. Mark Twain had a great one, but here's Einstein on astrology. All right, Albert Einstein said, Astrology is a science in itself and contains an illuminating body of knowledge. It taught me many things, and I am greatly indebted to it. I found so many quotes from cool people about astrology. Uh, maybe we'll open with one or two more on the next episode as we roll back into the cosmic calendar. And, you know, this is going to tie into that Mayan calendar and the 2012 apocalypse that did or didn't happen all next time on baked and awake we're over an hour my episode on five non-white fringe researchers and, and speakers that you need to know about will continue to take a back seat for one more episode at least while we finish this one since we started it i'll use that time to continue to improve my profiles on each of the five and make sure that I point you at the best place to start, in my opinion, with each of them, like what their most crucial work might be. And I really hope that's an episode everybody's looking forward to and is going to enjoy when it comes out. So you guys are great. Thank you, as always, for taking the journey. Norb Theory is wild. Get after it on YouTube because I'd love to talk to you about it on Instagram or wherever between now and the next episode. Um, I'm going to keep grinding on it pretty much right away. I might take a break keep watching the video and go back in and start writing some more notes and not uh, necessarily keep recording today but I'll be recording again on it really soon to try to get this out to you in less than a week so you know just another couple of days give you a couple of days to sit with it too and look into Norb Theory yourselves because there's more to it than we've gotten to yet so much more alright alright you guys are wonderful um, there's some really cool cannabis news going on too uh I think that we've seen like almost complete descheduling of THC and cannabis, uh, according to a memorandum I just read uh, that went out, you know, back in December um, to clarify things and rules, including like some stuff that would seem like it's opening the pathway to like interstate commerce and et cetera of the plant. So, you know, we'll get to some cannabis related content real soon as well on the show and let me know if there is a story especially a cannabis related story that i'm you know missing on for you and you want to spend some time on here on the show because i'll cover it so talk to us at bakedinawake.com visit me at bakedinawake.com you can support the show and find the tea public shop and the swag by visiting bakedinawake.com and you can always hit that support tab on the website as well and throw a couple bucks towards, you know, just keeping things going, uh, hosting wise, etc. Uh, I'm super grateful to my Patreons and my uh, PayPal supporters who continue to support the show. It actually almost kind of 
I mean, yeah, like it's like we're doing it together. So that's amazing <laughs> to me. Like I would do it anyway, and I was doing it anyway, but it definitely helps me stay in the chair and stay in the mindset of building this content, creating this content. And hopefully it's value to somebody. So love you guys. We'll talk to you real soon. Mm, uh, I don't think I have bird song for you on the outro today, but we'll probably do some uh, nice mellow tunage from my boy, Auntie Luode, the greatest instrumental music man of all men. All right. Let's do it together. Smoke some indica this week. Do shit anyway.